0: I'm kind of thinking, well, these Wednesday nights we ought to do just a night of praise and worship. It'd be a good thing. <laughs> Alright, tonight if you turn in your Bibles once again to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 12. And the second half of Lessons from the Lion's Den. Last week as we finished up our study, it really was a culmination of of what the scriptures really say about the battle that we're in. And and for me as a pastor, I can tell you that battle is is vigorous. Vigorous is a good word. It's ongoing. It's incessant. It's powerful. Uh, It seems like every day there's something new that comes up in uh, my life that's a struggle. It's a fight. It's something that we have to wage war over. And I want you to hold that theme going now into the remaining part of the chapter. Because if you miss that, then you miss some of the beauty of what's left here. Because I really believe that we're we're going to get, in essence, a, a reinstallation of the same principles that we saw in Nebuchadnezzar's life to some degree. But more importantly, there's something that happens in our life on a very regular and consistent basis and that is the enemy's going to throw stuff at you and things are going to happen to you that are completely unfair, they're unwarranted. Uh you you've had that target painted on your forehead. You you have received uh you know an undue penalty if you will. You you somehow have ended up in a situation you don't even know how you got there. Uh something's happened to you, something's happened to your loved one, something's gone on in your life that you just look at and you god. Why would you allow this in my life now? How how come I, I'm going through these things? What am I supposed to learn? Because there's always a plan in it. We know that God doesn't just simply uh, allow affliction to come because He's you know like a teenager with a magnifying glass and ants. You know He's like, oh, see if we can burn that one you know, kind of thing. God God loves us just as we just finished singing. He loves us so immeasurably that we can't even comprehend the height and the breadth and the depth of his love. Scripture plainly declares that that we simply can't know how much he loves us. We get little glimpses. We get little visions. And at times, here's where this is important. When bad things happen, we are tempted to doubt that love. We're tempted to think, man, is God... Lost sight of where I am? Did he lose my kids? Did, you know, did, did the situation here in, in our community, maybe in your marriage, has that fallen out of God's view? Did he somehow uh, create a, a, a crack or a crevice in the time-space continuum and I fell into it? And the answer to that is no. And God always knows where his kids are. You moms know this. When your children get to be about three, four years old, us dads, we think it's kind of funny, but you moms at about three or four years old, you know when the kids start to get kind of their own little deal and you take them into a store, and all of a sudden, one second, they're in the cart. The next second, they're not only not in the cart, they're not in the aisle that you're in. Matter of fact, you're not sure they're in the store that you're in. Boom, like that, they're gone. And in a frantic search, you're running around, and your heart is palpating, and you're you're wondering where they are. And you do a you know a code red or whatever they do at Walmart now, and the lights go off, and eh, we have a code red over in the uh, tool section. It's a little boy in a red shirt. Now, if we can do those kinds of things as parents, and you know what it's like, you spend every everything. The sale is over. Amen. You're no longer concerned about what you came into the store for. The only thing you were concerned about as a parent is, Where is my child? Nothing else matters. Now imagine that times infinity, whatever that does to it. It's a lot. That's how God is when we take off and somehow we end up in a situation, be it our own fault or the fault of others or just the way the world's going. God is constantly on code red for you. He's looking for you constantly. His desires are towards you. He loves you with an undying love that has no boundaries and no end. And so when you think on the rest of this passage, it's important to keep a proper perspective. Because what is about to happen to Daniel seems almost unthinkable. How how could it happen? But we know God has a plan. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we again just thank you so much for this incredible picture. Lord, the mind-boggling account of a man who loves you and served you. and Lord, one day we'll meet in heaven. Lord, and the accounts of the things that happened in his life that are such an encouragement to us. And Lord, we want to learn these lessons from the lion's den. We pray that they would be striking a chord in our heart and in our mind. Lord, that they produce in us a trust in you that's like the trust of Daniel. Lord, even the trust of Darius. Father God, we bless you. We thank you for this time in your word. We pray now that you would just simply open up the windows of heaven and rain down upon us blessings. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 12, here in Daniel 6, and they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. So here comes the accuser. Here comes the enemy of your soul. In this particular case, he's dressed as the most powerful people in the in the country at the time. They have tremendous ability to, get, to garner the, the king's ear. They're capable of raising all kinds of a ruckus. And, and I know that you know and have people like this in your life. There are people that really can't do much to you. And there are people that can really hurt you. These are guys that can really hurt Daniel. And they're pulling out all the stops. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the lion's den? They put the king on the spot after putting the very thought to do this in the king's mind. I want you to know the subversiveness here with which the enemy works. He uses the laws of the land against him. He uses the most powerful people against him. He uses his own words against him. He actually uses Daniel's own walk with God against him. Think on that one for a second. The very fact that Daniel could be counted on to be found praying, the very fact that Daniel could be counted on to be found worshiping his God is actually used against Daniel. It is specifically because he's sold out for God, because he has a walk with the Lord, and because he worships only God that he gets in this mess. That's the real reason. Because he could have, at any point in time, said, you know what, oh man, I got stayed up a little late last night, not feeling like the whole prayer thing this morning, so... I'll get up, put on a couple of pots of coffee, going to watch some CNN. No, that's trash. I'll turn on Fox. That's almost trash. And I'll turn the TV off. You, You see, it was because Daniel loved the Lord and Daniel served the Lord and Daniel's walk with the Lord was solid that he falls into this particular situation. You need to mark that in your Bibles. The next time the enemy comes against you and you feel like you're being persecuted and and you're just sitting there going, man, I, I've been serving more. I've been loving people more. I've been studying the word more. I've been praying more. When you ha- When you do those things, let me give you a little secret spiritually, you're probably going to get attacked. And if you don't, You might try turning up the heat in the prayer life a little bit because it probably means you're not having a tremendous effect because if you are having an effect for the kingdom, you are going to get attacked, period. You are. It goes with the territory because Satan hates us, just as we saw last time. And the king answered and he said, The thing is true. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. He says, man, you got me. I think Darius already knows he's been had. And so they answered and said before the king that Daniel, who was one of the captives of Judah, and I want you to notice the anti-Semitism that's raging here. They didn't just say Daniel, the third in command in all of the region, the third in command of the Medes and the Persians, your right-hand man, O King Darius, he says, one of those lousy, rotten Jews, captives of Judah. Do you remember how long they've been in captive, captivity at this point in time? Sixty-six years. And they're still those captives of Judah. Now I don't know about you, but after somebody's been in my neighborhood after a couple of weeks, they start to kind of not smell like a Flatlander. But it's it it, it, it you it's not going to take 66 years to get inculcated into society, is it? I wouldn't think. And Daniel has been so faithful in all he does, he's actually in the upper echelons of society. So this is a a great derision against the Jewish people, against the captives themselves, and against Daniel, who has failed to give in to, to the status quo. The captives of Judah, who does not show regard for you. Notice how the platitudes begin to roll. How the words are just flowing in flattery towards the king. It's like, oh, king, well, of course, we know you're great, but obviously he doesn't think so. This is one of the tactics that the enemy uses, especially in your workplace and in school. You know, oh, well, you know, Mario, I mean, he's a guy, you know, he's one of those Christians. He's wasting the time that he has here at the job praying. Hallelujah. Hallelujah exactly but you can hear the voice in our own lives amen can't you and the enemy's just raging he's just going man that's stupid Steve I mean he's over there just still praising Jesus I can't believe it you know and I mean we of course are sold out for you It's how the enemy works oh king or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. He hates your guts, O oh king, and he's over there wasting time praying to that dumb Jewish God. Man, he's over there, could be doing more, but he's reading his Bible. You know, he came in and he's not going to the office party, and you know what that means. I mean, oh, he's probably doing something hideous like praying. not a surprise. It's not a surprise, and it shouldn't be a surprise for us. If we're really walking with the Lord, shouldn't the same thing be said about us, really? There there are going to be times when we're going to be doing the Lord's will, and we're going to be doing the Lord's work, we're going to be doing it His way, and we're going to be walking with the Lord, and people aren't going to like it. And they're going to blame the entire condition of the world upon us, as they are right now. A trap had been sprung. The accusation against Daniel is made, and unquestionably, it's true. Hallelujah! It's true. Hallelujah! It's true. Greg Laurie once said, "It, it, it should be then found with each one of us that if we were put in a court of law, that there would be enough evidence in our lives to convict us that we're Christians." Amen. Is there enough evidence in your life to convict you of being a Christian? You know what I can sadly say? For a lot of people, there's almost no evidence that they're a Christian. None. They don't find them praying. You don't find them worshiping the Lord. You rarely see them in church. They don't do anything for the kingdom. But they sure want that grace. They want their fire insurance. They got their ticket stamped. They think it's in their back pocket. They believe they're going to heaven, but there's no evidence. And they would be one of the people that would have been there in in the city at that time that the satraps could have gone, oh, I can't really do much about him. Is the enemy afraid of you? Does the enemy get up in the morning and, and... Shaky said, man, I don't know what I'm going to do with Richard. The dude just won't stop praying. It's just like driving me nuts. I'm going to have to assign some more demons to him. And I was just thinking about Amy, and man, if she doesn't just quit and Robin. it's just like, ugh, these guys make me nuts. I'm crazy. You should be ticking the devil off every once in a while, Amen. It should be kind of a burr under his saddle, so to speak, in a vernacular of Western culture. We should be upsetting the enemy, and it should make him mad that we're alive on this earth. And if it doesn't make him mad, then I would say to you, we don't have a whole lot of purpose while we're here. Verse 14, and the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. Notice who he's displeased with. Whenever there's conviction of the Holy Spirit kind, you're displeased with yourself. It removes all of the stuff that you would normally do, like pointing the finger at everybody else and justifying why you did it and blame shifting and all that stuff. And the first thing that happens to Darius is, I am such a dope I am a knucklehead. I can't believe I made that mistake and let those guys talk me into this. And now he realizes what he's done, but it's too late. Can I say to you that this passage reminds us that there are consequences to our actions. And you will, as we'll see very clearly, reap what you have sown, both for good and bad. And praise the Lord for both sides. Because when it's in that bad sense, then we know that God loves us and he chastens us. And when it's in that good sense, we know that when we reap under, from righteousness, we know we've also sown to righteousness. it has been some good seed that's been scattered. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. And he now shifts gears. and says, man, i got to think of something. There's got to be some obscure law with which I can set Daniel free. There's got to be something I can do. Maybe I'll make him an ambassador to a foreign land or something. You can imagine what might have been going on in Darius's heart. He's like, man, I, I, I've got to do something. I caused this mess. I need to fix it. And then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Can you imagine What Darius thought when he heard that, because he's already admitted, I've blown it. I know I've blown it. I want to try and fix it. And now these guys come and say, oh, no, not on your life. It's etched in granite. It's over. You've done it. You're going to kill the guy that you really like. Be careful how you speak. Be careful what oaths you make. Be careful what representations you make in the world because they can come back to bite you. That is why scripture reminds us to be slow to speak and quick to listen and thereby slow to wrath. That's the words of Proverbs. It's also the words of James. We need to be very careful about what we say and how we say it. When we say it, timing sometimes is more important than the words themselves. Those things can't be changed. And so the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now for all of those who all of a sudden this becomes just a nursery rhyme, I want to remind you that this kingdom was very clearly known for several things. One is feeding people to the lions. The other was setting them on fire. And so both of the tortures that we we see here in the book of Daniel were commonly practiced with both the Babylonians using fire and the Medes using lion's dens. This is not new. This is old news. It's historical data. And so this is something that they very commonly did. Uh, And it was a a very common form of, of capital punishment. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you, and that is a proper rendering of the original language. So convinced was Darius that God would deliver Daniel that he spoke it with authority. In other words, he had faith in Daniel's God. And again, I believe Darius is one of those guys that I believe we're going to see in heaven. I think that there was repentance in his life. Uh, It seems as though he had a a faith in, in Daniel's God. And just as Abraham's going to get there, I believe Darius is one of those guys that God reached into his heart. The work of the Spirit was there, and he believed by faith and waited in Sheol until the Lord Jesus arose. And then a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the signets of his lord's. That the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. And so everything is done as is the custom of the Medes and the Persians. The tomb is sealed. The death warrant is issued. The wax signet ring is put on the, on the tomb itself. Ain't nobody getting out. Nobody getting in until somebody's eaten. Now, I, at that point in time, I'm kind of thinking, I'm not going back to look and see what's left of Daniel. Almost irregardless of how much faith I might have in the Lord's deliverance, it would be a real tough thing to roll away that stone and look and see who's in the tomb. Amen? I would remind you that's exactly the feeling of the disciples as they raced that Easter morning. That's what they thought, too. And so he sealed in, and now the king went to his palace And spent the night, notice that is not feasting, that is fasting. Spent the night fasting on his face before God, not eating in turmoil, in pain, in anguish, in suffering over what he had done. No musicians were brought before him, and also his sleep went from him. He just tossed and turned all night. He didn't have his iPod plugged in and his phones in his ears. He was just listening for the voice of the Lord, and generally one could assume that he was praying. We don't know who he was praying to, but he's already made a confession that Daniel's God is God. And so my guess is this is a time of contrition. And then the king arose very early in the morning. When did the women rise? Very early in the morning. And the king rose very early in the morning and went in haste. To the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out in a lamenting voice to Daniel. Now I want you to notice something. There's faith in the very substance of what he's doing. He is crying out to Daniel. He is making a confession of faith that he believes Daniel is still alive. Irregardless of how weak that faith may be. I think it's very important to not judge the the severity of the faith here. But the very fact that he ran to the tomb and that he cried out Daniel's name tells me he's believing in the God of Daniel. I believe in Daniel's God. And he cries out in a lamenting voice. And I believe the lamenting voice is the lament of someone who knows he's done someone wrong. Daniel! Are you okay? And the king spoke to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Do you remember when Nebuchadnezzar threw Daniel's three friends into the furnace? And he was angry for not bowing down. You see, he expected them to be dead. Darius expects Daniel to be alive. There's a huge difference in how they approach these two scenes. When the king heard this, he's distressed. He's determined to rescue Daniel. He makes every effort until sundown to, to save him. And it really kind of gives us a picture. Man, it's, it's best to not make rash decrees you know better better to to be silent and to prove yourself a fool than to open your mouth and to remove all doubt amen can't tell you how many things i've said in my life that's just like oh man like 2 seconds after they leave you know it's just like you just kind of reel them back in and swallow those again the human efforts failed to change the outcome, but I believe there's a spark of faith here. And and you know what? It's important for us to realize God works with sparks of faith. For those of you that have ever, you know, gone out and, and like us guys do, I mean, we're all pyromaniacs for the most part. You know, we can't resist a good fire, a good firecracker, a good firearm, anything with fire in it. But if you've ever tried to make a fire using some tinder and maybe a, a spark stick, a magnesium rod or something, you scratch those sparks in there. It's hard to, it's hard to imagine if you've never done it that it's actually going to work. You're like, okay, two sparks, sure, that's going to start something on fire. And then all of a sudden you, you you fan that one spark, and before you know it, you actually have a fire. That is the way the Holy Spirit works in people's lives. There's there's just a single spark. There's a little man. The light goes on. There's something that clicks. And the Holy Spirit fans that flame. And before you know it, it turns into a raging fire. And all of a sudden, that person is on fire with the Holy Spirit. And there's something happening in their life. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you, might be the question. But really what it actually says is your God in whom you are so loyal, he is going to save you out of this, is actually what the original language says. In other words, King Darius is saying, I know God's going to get you out of this. Darius has a a greater degree of faith than even Daniel's three friends. He says, I know it. I believe it. You see, when they were thrown in those two places, they were powerless. Amen? Jesus was powerless. Psalm 22 tells us that the roaring lions were were tearing against Jesus, that their mouths were wide open. You see, the same thing really befell Jesus. And if you look at it properly, and I want you to be very careful. God is completely omniscient, omnipotent. He knows everything, can do anything. That's absolutely true. But God himself was actually bound in the case of Jesus by his own word. God had prophesied what would happen to Jesus, and so there was no changing it. God himself Did not rescue his own son, even though he could, because he had already said he was going to die. And so we see this beautiful type, if you will, of the Lord Jesus in the life life of Daniel. The decree's been made, the word's been spoken; it is going to happen exactly as it has been said, and there isn't anything anybody can do about it. The good news is, is God knows the outcome. You see, mankind really didn't have a view of the outcome, either in this case or at the cross of Christ, amen? You remember what the disciples were doing? They didn't want to look. They didn't want to see. They had gone away to kind of hide themselves, and and it was really the the two Marys that made it to the tomb. They're they're the ones that have enough faith to at least go look. And then Peter and John have a foot race. You see, there's a spark of faith going on there, and it's being fanned. You see that, that faith grows. And Darius was, was agonizing over everything that had happened. If you remember, ironically, none of the Lord's disciples at first light of dawn on that third day hurried to the tomb and called out, are you alive? None of them did. None of them did. The guys that were with Jesus, none of them went to the tomb initially. It was the women who went. They're the ones that saw that the angels were sitting on the tomb. like, where is he at? Where have you taken the body of my Lord? And they went and bore witness to it. And that's why the guys came. You see, God honors faith. He's always honored faith. I believe, obviously, in light of Daniel's witness, Darius had been led to belief in the living God. Verse 21, he goes on, Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. I love this. Daniel's still in the tomb. Now, we're not told everything about what happens there. We're not, you know, we don't know if the lions were purring. You know, some people say, well, they were asleep. We don't know if the lions had had, you know, 67 Chaldeans the day before and were totally fat and happy. We we don't know any of those things. But we know this. Everybody was convinced that Daniel was going to die. That's what we do know. Because that's why the king was worried. And it tells me that up to that point in time, no one had done what Daniel did. Same thing with Jesus. Do you remember how much time Jesus spent speaking to the disciples that he would rise in the third day? He kept telling them, no sign will be given unto you except that of the prophet Jonah. Well, what was Jonah? He was three days in the grave and then barfed up on a beach. Amen? Same deal here. He's going to do something that no one's ever done before. Get tossed into a lion's den, stone rolled in front of the door, He's in there, I don't know, playing furball with the kitties or something. I don't know what he did all night. But I know this. He should have been eaten. O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel. And I love this. This is another picture. Remember in the fiery furnace? There was three thrown in, but four were in there. In this case, Daniel's thrown in, but someone else was in there as an angel. Could have been the angel of the Lord. May have been a Christophany, an appearance of the Lord Jesus. But we know for sure. Daniel wasn't alone. Would you lay hold of that? You are not alone ever. Ever. You may think you're alone. You may physically be alone, but you are not alone ever. The Lord himself declared that he'll never leave you nor forsake you, says the Lord. He's always with us wherever we go. Furthermore, it says, David said, if I descend into the depths of the pit, if I go all the way to the pit of hell, you're with me. If I ascend unto the heights of heaven, you are with me. Where can I go that thy face cannot find me is ultimately what he says. And the answer is you can't. There's nowhere you can go. There's nothing you can do. There's nowhere you can be that the Lord can't find you. Daniel knew that. The angel shut the mouths of the lion. Now, I've always looked at this, and it's kind of an interesting thing to try and consider. There's one angel. There apparently are many lions. The the verbiage here is that there were quite a few lions in this lion's den. It was lions plural. It wasn't two. It wasn't a couple of lions. It wasn't, you know, three. It seems as though there were a significant number of lions, and yet it says the angel shut the lion's mouths. So does that mean that the angel, you know, he grabbed like one with his toes and each hand on each one. He's laying on one. You know, people have all kinds of extravagant ideas. I don't know. I don't know if he brought a bunch of zip ties with them and, you know, put them around the lion's mouth, duct tape, you know, because they don't open. really. They close really good, but they don't open all that well. You know, we don't know. But we know that angel was so powerful that they have not hurt me because I was found, notice this, innocent before him. The reason Jesus rose from the grave is he was innocent before him, the him being God. He was perfect. That's why we get to go to heaven. So again, Daniel is prefigured here as as a type of the Lord himself. I was found innocent. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Jesus did no wrong before God, and he did no wrong before men. It's a perfect picture of the Lord himself. He was persecuted. He was falsely accused. He was cast into death. He remained in death overnight, and he came out saying, Hmm, someone was here with me. And now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found in him because he believed in his God. Do you notice that it doesn't say, well, there was somebody else in there and he shut the mouths of the lion. doesn't say that, wow, the lions weren't very hungry that night. It does not say, well, these were emaciated lions and they were so sick they couldn't go after Daniel. It doesn't say that the lions had been given a sleeping potion. It says that God was more powerful than the lions, is effectively what it says. Because he believed in his God. For no other reason than faith was he delivered. For no other reason than faith will you be delivered by believing in God. Through Jesus Christ. Daniel is one of the most accurate books regarding faith that we have in the Bible. It pictures perfectly what happens when we believe in the Lord. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Amen? Same thing here. He just simply believed in Daniel's God and he was saved. And the king gave a command, and they brought out those men who had accused Daniel. Notice how it shifts. He got it. They didn't come seeking to make a law to kind of make the king, you know, more uh, lifted up with pride. They came specifically to accuse Daniel. That's why they came to him. And that is why the enemy goes to God. We can't quite figure this out, but certainly the first chapter of the book of Job gives us a, a perfect picture of this. Satan has access to the throne room of God still to this day. He can come and go. And he goes and he accuses. When you are right and righteous before the Lord, Satan's up there going, man, I can't believe it. Man, every time I go down there that Robert, uh, Jim, remember ministering to those stupid homeless people and, and, you know, and they wouldn't do that if you would just remove all of your blessings from them, God. It's the same thing. You see, the, the accusation was made. False motivation. Ah, oh, you're blessing them. That's why they do it. You can do it. You can get a tax write-off. That's why they do it. And cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. God is a just God. And I would remind you of the picture that's here, because it says in the very last days, there in Revelation chapter 21, there will be a a judgment, the great white throne judgment of God. And the books will be opened, and it will be determined at that point in time, who's in and who's out. And it says there that those that are not found written in the book of life will be thrown into the pit. Same thing here. You guys, look, your signature's right there on the accusation. You're the ones that accused him. You're out. Into the lion's den you go. And it says their bones are broken into pieces. You see, this passage tells me that the wisdom of God is wiser than the foolishness of the world. This world has got all kinds of crafty, stupid plans that ultimately God in heaven is just sitting there going, oh, not again. You ever wondered what God thinks when he sees us? I don't know if you guys ever think this way. I'm weird, I admit it. But sometimes I try and envision what God is thinking when he looks down at the earth. And he, you know, he sees little Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. All those Jews, we're going to wipe them from the face of the earth. And God's going, no, you're not. We'll drive them into the sea. And God's going, mm-mm, is isn't going to happen. He's just shaking. God's just shaking his head. He's going, What have I not been good to you? There was a point in time when all of the Persian Empire, a vast majority of it was actually Christian, and you're all spinning your tails, and you think you're going to do all these things. You ever thought what God thinks? encourage you. Try and think what God thinks because it helps you do a couple of things. It helps you rightly discern, if you will, how the Lord is actually at work in our world. The other thing that it does is it gives you a sense of his power because he he, he has to be just withholding his power right now because you know he's tweaked. God is not happy about the death of innocent children. God's not happy about Millions of people dying in Africa of starvation and hunger. God hates that. He hates that more than all of the philanthropic organizations on the entire earth. God hates human rights abuses everywhere. God hates racism. God hates violence on innocent people. God hates all that stuff. And yet he loves mankind so much that he doesn't act indiscriminately. You know, if I were God, and this is where it helps to think a little bit, if I were God, I'm just like, you know what, this is just dumb. You guys have been like this for thousands of years. I'm just going to take care of this right now. Because you're kind of polluting the whole world with your thoughts. Now, God, he loves people so much that he suffers long in this kind, even the people who hate him. Really what happens here in verse 24 is that fundamental law of God that's found there in Galatians chapter 6. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows is the, is the spiritual law. It's a law of sowing and reaping. It goes on to say there that one who sows to please his sinful nature, the, the New Living Translation gives us a, a clearer understanding of this in English. One who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the Spirit of God will reap from that Spirit eternal life. And you can't have it both ways. You're either doing one or the other. In everything you do and say, every action you undertake, every thought you think... Those things go to one of two categories of usage while you're on this earth. They're either of the spirit or they're of the flesh. There there are only two options. There's no such thing as neutral. If they're neutral, then they go into one of those two categories neutrally. Maybe they're not overly spiritual, but they're spiritual. Maybe they're not overly carnal, but they're carnal. They're one of two places. And so the more time you spend reaping... Things uh, of the, of the flesh, you can bet your last dollar that you have also been sowing to the flesh. And if spiritual things are happening in your life, you can bet your last dollar that you have been absolutely sowing that way. You cannot miss this law. It's the way the world works spiritually. And so when bad things are going on in your life, and you sit there and you think back, and you oh man, while well, I was doing this, this, and this, they're the direct result of your sin. They're a direct result of, of sowing uh, to the flesh, and now you're reaping those bad things. You, you can't escape it. Now God may be generous and kind and, and very long-suffering, and he may not make it as bad as it could be, but you're going to reap what you've sown. And he will also make it good when you sow to the Spirit those eternal things. And so, to some degree, the prophet Daniel is is really a living miracle. He's just one of those guys that you look at and you go, man, there's no way he should have survived all this. Verse 25, and then King Darius wrote, now he's going to get it right, to all the peoples and nations and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. He says, Shalom. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. He reverses his first decision. Notice his, notice his confession. This is, a, this is an amazing confession of faith. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. He's pronouncing eternal life here. He says, this one God, Daniel's God, is a living God. He's right here, right now. He is forever. He is the one which shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. If that's not professing eternal life, I don't know what he's doing. He's saying, you need to worship this one God who will endure to the end. Notice what else he says. He he pronounces the methodology of salvation. He says he delivers and he rescues. He first delivers the message and then he rescues you out of the sin. It's exactly what Jesus does, by the way. The message of the gospel is delivered to you, then he rescues you out of sin. By believing in the one God who is eternal. And he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. For who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lion? And if not what, notice he doesn't say, well, man, I'm sure glad the lions weren't hungry that night. Man, what a coincidence. You know, Daniel fell down into that pit. Maybe he got stuck someplace in the hole and didn't make it all the way down to the bottom. What a great fortuitous fortuitous chain of events there were that night that Daniel didn't get eaten. Man, how lucky was Daniel Man, I'm sure glad his philosophy paid off of doing good to others. Now he pronounces that the one God who is eternal rescued and delivered Daniel. And because of that, he worked signs here on earth and he does so in heaven and has delivered Daniel from the power of the lion. So the lion, Satan, roars after you. What do you think God's going to do? He's able to deliver Now, you may get a few scratches, bumps, and bruises. You may actually lose your life. But because he's eternal, he delivers. And that's why there in Revelation chapter 21, it says, but he who's found in the book of life will not face the second death. Because if you've believed the second time, you've been born again. You were born, you're born again. You're born the second time. You have an earthly life. You have an eternal life. You're born the second time. Then you're only going to die once. But if you only are born once, you're just born that earthly life, you believe in earthly life, you live in earthly life, then unfortunately you have a second death to look forward to. And that's going to happen at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. And those books are going to be opened. And God's going to go, man, your name's not here in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm sorry. But you're out of here. You didn't believe. Notice the sevenfold decree here. All people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. He is the living God, number two. He endures forever, number three. His kingdom is eternal, number four. He rescues and saves, number five. He performs signs and wonders, number six. And He is the deliverer, is number seven. You could throw Jesus' name in there. Jesus is the living God. Jesus is to be reverenced. Jesus is forever. His kingdom is eternal. He rescues. He saves. He performs signs and wonders. And ultimately, He delivers us. Complete picture. And so Daniel, in essence, now uh, takes that place. He says, To all peoples and nations and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God, a steadfast God forever. His kingdom shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers, he rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and earth. And who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? In verse 28, so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Secret to prosperity is being found in Christ. The secret to prosperity, it may not be in just the earthly things. The secret to prosperity is to be found in the Lord. And so as you begin to apply this passage, God expects all of us to be as Daniel was in a crooked and perverse land. Uh, The book of Philippians gives us a little bit of insight there in verse 14. It says, Do everything without complaining or arguing, that you may be blameless and pure, the children of God, without fault." in a crooked and perverse generation that you would shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast in the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Amen? We're supposed to stand out. You realize what's being said there is that in a crooked and perverse generation, the children of God are supposed to be so different that we are like stars in the world. That's what it says. So in case you didn't know it, as far as God's concerned, you're rock stars. Every last one of you. You're like, you've got your own web page. You are like, you have Facebook, all of it. You are like there as far as God's concerned. He has liked you, okay, on Facebook, big time. Like there's a billion likes there. Nobody gets a billion likes except you from the Lord. You're a chosen people, First Peter chapter 2 says, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people belonging to God that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. is that awesome? It's just like Darius crying out, Daniel, is your God able to save you? And he's not making a question. He's making a statement. It's basically rhetorical. He said, God saved you, didn't he? That's God's view of you. Live such lives that second chapter says there in First Peter. Live such lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they might see your good deeds and visit God, in whom they they declare. He says it's like you're doing all those things so people would see what you do and go, man, whatever Jeff is doing, I want to do that too. It's crazy. He's got like 500 billion friends on Facebook. And they're all God. You see those ways that Daniel foreshadows kind of all of us, really. When I mean, you think about it for a second, every one of us has at least a little a little bit of Daniel in us, or should anyway. So then, dear friends, 2 Peter chapter 3 says, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. You, you see... Daniel got in trouble because he was spotless and blameless. He got in trouble with the world, though, but he sure didn't get in trouble with God. I would rather be in trouble with the world than in trouble with God. Amen? That's that's the way we should look at our lives. I'd rather be in trouble with the world than in trouble with God. So very often, Christians live their lives exactly the opposite of that. We're trying to stay in good graces with the world, and we get in trouble with God. We need to back that up a little bit and say, you know what, Lord, you need to come first. Daniel did the tough thing. He did the hard thing. You know, We're overcomers in Christ Jesus. That's what 1 John 5 says, amen? Who is he that overcomes the world? He's the one that believes in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That's what it plainly says there in 1 John 5. We're overcomers. You throw in the lion's den, you get out. I can tell you, as you look at these things and you you start to ponder them out towards the end, Daniel is also a picture of kind of the last days in in that, man, the enemy's going to come unglued one day, isn't he? Fortunately, you and I as a church aren't going to be here, but the Jewish people are, by and large. When the rapture happens, the tribulation unfolds, all hell is going to break loose right here on earth. And by the way, as we get to the next chapter, it starts to get really interesting. You're going to get to see world history unfold before your eyes. But as we look at this, this is exactly how the world has continued to exist. There are God's people and there are the enemy's people. There's God's plan and there's the enemy's plan. There are those that are for him and those that are against him. That's it. You're on one side or the other. And people, you know, look at the, look at the way the Bible presents these things and go, I just, you know, I just can't go there. It's just too narrow. You know, it's, it's too exclusive. That's because the only way for us to be as Daniel was, Daniel was declared holy. He was declared holy because he believed in God. Amen? Same way you get declared holy, same way you get declared righteous. Because you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the righteousness of Christ placed in your account, and your sin has been dealt with by his blood. And so you're just like Daniel in that sense. And in the last days, because God cares so much about his people, he's one day going to once again turn his attention to the nation Israel. And that's what's going to unfold in the next chapter. He says, I've had the age of grace. People have come to the Lord by grace and through faith and they're saved and, and is that trumpet sounds and we who are alive and remain are caught up to meet the Lord in the air and we're out of here to go spend some time at the marriage supper of the Lamb and then we come back at the end of the tribulation with the Lord at the Battle of Armageddon to, to bring in the millennial reign of Christ. At that point in time, those years spent in tribulation, those seven years, are going to be so that the Jewish people, which missed it in Babylon and missed it in Media Persian Persia and are missing it today so that they can come to Christ. That's how fair and just God is. Because if you look at the world right now, you have to say the world's not, God's not fair and just. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be living in a country the size of Israel and be thinking about what is, what awaits them when the world goes completely wacky. The only way they're getting out of it is by faith, trusting in the same God that Daniel trusted in. The nations are going to rage. They are going to conspire. Read the second psalm maybe sometime this week. Why do the nations rage and plot in vain? The kings of the earth, it says there. You realize God laughs at that? God rebukes the earth in his anger. He says, what a bunch of knuckleheads. Are you kidding me? You hate me? You hate my people? You hate my chosen people, the Jewish people? Are you kidding me after all I've done? Daniel was a servant of the Most High God, and he's one of those guys I can't wait to meet when we get to heaven. It's just crazy thinking about how he lived his life and how long he walked with the Lord. You know, we talk about great men of faith throughout history. You know, I happen to be associated with one of the, I believe, one of the greatest Bible expositors of all time, Pastor Chuck. Touched millions upon millions of lives. But he's never been thrown into a lion's den. Can't wait to get there. What a joy that's going to be. And I want to encourage you to go through these first six chapters, maybe in in the next week as we kind of look at this amazing book. And start marking down all the similarities between the Lord and Daniel. You know, you, you, I'll give you a few. The Lord overturned the tables of corru- corruption. Remember, he tipped over the money tables changers. Uh, Daniel was Daniel was set over the, the whole kingdom in that area of incorruptibility. Incorru- Christ is over the kingdom of God. Daniel was chosen to be the king of all kings. You, you see the similarities are just immense. I'll give you a little hint. I came up with 46 of them. So you guys have a challenge now. Find how many similarities that there are between the Lord Jesus Christ and Daniel and jot them down and we'll see if anybody comes up with more than 46. Now I want to give you an encouragement. You need more than one translation of the Bible in order to do this effectively because there are a couple of things, especially in the King James, it doesn't quite pan out so well. But the modern English versions, like the New Living Translation, the New International Version, you're going to find a few more close similarities that you would probably otherwise miss. You know, Dan, Daniel was tempted and tested; the Lord was tempted and tested. You see, see how those things work. And give you a little assignment: go home, find out how many you got. I got 46. We'll compare notes. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this incredible example of the life of Daniel and Lord help us to, to battle. Lord, help us to endure as good soldiers. Help us to take that affliction, Lord, and esteem it lightly for your kingdom's sake. And God, when we're tested, when the lion's den is opened and we can look into it and realize that it's the world is dangerous. God, when we can see past the things of this earthly life. And if we could only see into the heavenlies, God, we'd realize that every day you're doing battle for us. And Lord, if you are for us, who can be against us? Help us to walk in that kind of faith. Lord, help each of us to to hear your voice so clearly, Lord, this week. Lord, we want to know what you want us to hear. God, we want to walk in in the ways that you have for us. We want to possess the land we want to enter in god we don't want to stay on the borders of canaan we want to go in and possess it and so god help us to do that help us to walk by faith and not by sight or we're tired of deceiving our own selves through walking that way we bless you i thank you lord for this church and for these precious saints pray that you would bless each one be the lifter of their head this week get us together again on sunday that we could just study your word and fellowship together we love you we bless you in jesus name amen all right all y'all you have your task go find out how many you can find similarities between jesus and daniel